excited to have you here back for another week. Looking forward to what God's going to do for it. How fun was it? How awesome was it to serve almost 700 people last week? Was that great or what? Man, loved it, loved it. You guys crushed it. You guys did an amazing job. It was just spectacular to see this room filled three times to max capacity. You guys served. I saw you guys out there loading trees, giving out hot chocolate, helping with uh, uh, just giving hugs, praying with people. You guys are just out there loving on people. So I got to do this. I know you don't want me to, but if you served last week, I need you to stand and we got to just honor you. I know you don't want to stand. You got to stand. You got to stand. If you served last week, you got to stand. Let's give these people a round of applause. They work. They serve. They are amazing people. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you. You may be seated. You guys didn't want to. You guys really were like, uh-uh, my, my rear end is glued to this seat. And, uh, man, hard to get you to stand sometimes, but we're glad that you served. It was so cool to see a line of people trying to get into church. And I think that's awesome because we line up for the iPhone. We line up for a movie. Sometimes... And men don't have this problem, but sometimes the ladies even have to line up to use the restroom. You know, you have to line up to go to a restaurant. You have all these lines. I think it's about time people lined up to go see God. I think that's just about time, right? Amen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So awesome. So good. So it was great to see what God was doing. I'm just humbled by it and just excited that we get to do this thing together. Uh, Beloved Coach Harbaugh, who left our Niners in such disarray. He now coaches Michigan State. And if you go to a Michigan State practice, if you go there, he's up in this tower and he's got this bullhorn. And Coach Harbaugh, he'll say to the crowd, who has it better than us? And you know what the players have to say? Nobody. How many of you heard this? You heard that he does this at practice. That's right. You know what I think when I heard that? I was like, man. Who has it better than Southridge Church? Nobody. Man, we get to serve our community. We can see lives change. Just incredible. Just incredible. So thank you. I'm still riding the wave after that. Just awesome. As we dive into this morning's message, I need you to engage with your neighbor. I need you to shake them, slap them, nudge them, and tell them my title this morning. It is called Doors and Doers. Doors and Doers. Doers. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because God uses people, not because they're extraordinary, but God uses people who give their lives for a cause that is bigger than themselves. We started this series three weeks ago, and we talked about that God is not looking for people who are amazing. He's looking for people who are available. So it's not based on your ability. It's based on your availability. If you will say, God, here am I. God will use you to do extraordinary things. It's people that just say, I can serve in the nursery. I can serve in the worship. I can serve with audiovisual. I can greet. I can load a tree. You had such incredible impact that we're going to see the ripples from. I saw tears of joy as people got a tree. My daughter, she's seven years old, and she talked to one girl, and the little girl was in Rich Kids, and she could hardly contain herself. She's a little girl just sitting there, and she looked over at Megan, didn't know Megan or anything like that, and she told Megan, we're getting our very first Christmas tree. The girl's about Megan's age, the first Christmas tree. And my daughter was like, Mom, I wish I would have had an ornament to give her on her tree. 
Isn't that just awesome? That that's the heart, that's the DNA of our church. So if you're new to our church, that's just our DNA. That's just our heart. Our heart is to reach out to those that don't yet belong to our church, aren't quite yet a part of this family. We're trying to invite them in to be a part of what God is doing here. And then two weeks ago, we talked about work in our window. We pulled out a window, and we said we as a church, we are throwing wide the window. You see, God can get anything you need. He can get it to you. We said we believe that God can supply all our need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We know that God can get anything you need. He can get it to you. But the question that we ask is, can God get it through you? There's a lot God wants to get to you, and he can get anything to you. But too often, we have our window shut to the things of God. Or we say this to God. We, we have our window just, all right, God, you got to work in that amount of space. That's it. That's all that you can work. But we as a church, we said, no, we're going to go and we're going to get 350 trees and we're going to give them out to our community. We're going to throw open wide the window. So we say around here, we widen our window. We want to serve others. That's why five men hopped in a truck at 10 o'clock at night, drove up to Redding, California, picked up the 350 trees because the truck that was supposed to deliver them wasn't going to make it. And they drove all night. They got here. They served all day. And then they didn't go home till later that afternoon. And then they passed out for about three days. I checked on them, okay? Three days. I couldn't get a of them. And uh, they, they were just in a coma, all right? And uh, so they decided, hey, we are a church that we open wide the window. We want to see what God can do. We don't want just a little bit of blessing. We want a lot. So we say, you know what? We're going to give generously so that God can bless back. And this week, we're talking about doors. We're going to talk about doors. But let's dive into chapter 3. Now, if you grew up in the church and you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, uh, you know that this is a story based on a man who's going to build a wall. And he's going to build this wall in record-setting time. But when you go through or when people do uh, uh, preach through the book, they often skip chapter 3. You say, why do people skip chapter 3? Good question. You're about to find out because there's a whole lot of names in here that I can't pronounce. And that degree I got from seminary, didn't, I didn't pay enough, apparently, because they didn't teach me how to pronounce them. So I'm going to butcher my way through chapter 3. And I'm going to give you a list of names and places and things. And we're going to pull out some nuggets of truth that I believe is going to help us in a powerful way. So our, if you're ready, say ready. Oh, man, you don't sound ready. If you're ready, say ready. There we go. Now you sound ready. Excellent. All right, verse number one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified and erected its doors from the tower of the hundreds to the tower of Hanil. They sanctified the well. Next to him, the men of Jericho built. Next to him, them, Zem, the, uh, them Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate, constructing the beams, erecting its doors, installing locks and bars for it. Next to them, Mermoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, made repairs. Next to him, Mershulam, the son son of Bechari, the son of Masabel, made repairs. Next to him, Zadok, the son of Bayana, made repairs. Next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their noblemen would not put their shoulders to the work. Jehoiada, the son of Peseth, and Meshulam, the son of Besoide, repaired the old gate. They constructed its beams, erected its doors, and installed locks and bars for it. Next to them, repairs were made to Malatil, the Gimeonite, and Jaden, the uh, Maranathite. 
the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, placed under the authority of the governors of the provinces beyond the river. Next to them, Uzel, the son of Herak, and one of the goldsmiths made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries, made repairs, and they repaired Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to him, Rephiah, the son of Hur, commander of half of Jerusalem district, made repairs. Next to him, Jediah, the son of Haram, made repairs across from his house. Next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashabaniah, made repairs. Malachijah, the son of Haram, and Hasab, the son of Perhoth Moab, repaired another section, as well as the tower of the furnaces. Next to them, Shulam, the son of Helush, a commander of half of the Jerusalem district, made repairs along with his daughters. We got through it. Now, there is a great, <laughs> yeah, barely, there is a great list of baby names. Free. Free. There you go. You want a baby name that nobody's going to copy? It was right there. Free, okay? We gave you a bunch of list of names, and you can have Adam. You don't have to worry about anybody stealing your baby's name because nobody's going to name their baby Malatiel, all right? It just, it's not going to ha- happen, all right? Or maybe, maybe I could be wrong, but you can, you can have fun with the names. And there is still yet another 18 verses, but we won't have time to dive into all of it. But what I love is the fact that it's Nehemiah recording person after person after person who had a part in the wall. You see, last week, what we accomplished could never have been accomplished without each and every one of us participating. You see, there is a door. A door represents direction, represents an opportunity. The walls are for protection, but doors are for direction. And so this morning, we are going to talk about a door that our church has. Many of you are aware of the fact that our church is moving locations. We don't know when the time will will be completed for our building, but we are in the process of getting a new location, a permanent home. We're in that process. And next week, we have a Heart for the House offering. We're going to take the largest one-time cash offering our church has ever taken to really jump into this project and to jumpstart this project. But this week, we have a door. We have an opportunity. And just like Nehemiah came to the city of Jerusalem, and for 90 years, nothing had been done to the city of Jerusalem. For 90 years, two generations had came and passed, and no one had started working on the walls of this city. And so Nehemiah comes, and in chapter 2, he gathers the nobles, he gathers the leaders, he gathers the uh, the rulers, and he says, hey, do you not see the, the rubble? Do you not see the broken walls? We need to do something. He called everyone's attention to the door. You see, you and I, too often, we're, we're, our eyes are closed to the needs, the doors that are out there. And too often, we see it as a closed door. We say, that's too hard. That's too difficult. Nehemiah was a butler, not a builder. And you can say, you know what, I, I don't really, I'm not a millionaire. How can I help with this offering? Or I, I'm not a builder. I can't, I can't participate. But I'm here to show you in verse number one, the Bible says that the priests, they built the sheep gate. Now, I need you to understand something. In that day and age, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go be a priest and I'm going to become a civil engineer or I'm going to be a project manager. They didn't go to two schools. No, no, that's not what happened. You see, too often we only want to work our window that we're comfortable with. 
We only want to work what interests us. But these priests in in verse number 1 of chapter 3, they said, you know what? Here's a door. We're going to open the door, and we're going to step through this door. Here's an opportunity. Here's something that needs to get done. We're going to open it wide so that God can work, and we're going to step through this door. We're going to open this door of opportunity. But too often, we're looking for somebody else. Oh, that's the pastor's job, or that's the ministry leader's job, or that's a small group leader's. And I want our church to have 100% participation on the doors that God presents to us. If God brings us to a door, we want to be united and say, we're going to do this together. We're going to step forward. We're going to see what God wants to do. You see, it's your contribution that makes our church what it is. It's your contribution. It's your part. It's what you bring to the table. And so Nehemiah, he comes, and in chapter uh, uh, 2, he tells the people, let's do something. Let's get together. And you know what needs to happen? He knew something. To mobilize the people, it's going to take everybody. So he knew if they were going to change their world, they first had to change their ways. Too often, we want to change the world, but we don't want to change our ways. You see, Nehemiah's thinking, he, his thinking had to change. And now he had to get the thinking of everybody else to change. You see, too often we look at those doors, certain doors, that's somebody else's responsibility. And our thinking hasn't changed. You see, Nehemiah knew he needed to get everybody's thinking to change, that everybody had to be about this. Now, in chapter 3, six times you see the word doors. It's mentioned over and over that people worked on the doors. They built the doors. So doors were important. You see, when you and I stay where we are, we stay who we are. And we as a church cannot stay who we are. We've got to grow. What happened last week is not just a one-off. Don't just say, oh, that was nice. No, no, we are the church that says, you know what? We're not going to sit. We're not going to rest until those people, those 50 people who said, yes, I am giving my life to Christ, that we see them back in church. We see them growing. We see them baptized. We see them take that next step. That's a door that God's put in front of us. When you see a family that's hurting and has a need, that's a door God put in front of you. When you see somebody that needs hope and needs a kind word, that's a door God put in front of you that you need to step through it. That's an opportunity opportunity for you. When we look at this Knob Hill building that our church is going to acquire, we're going to build down. That's a door that's waiting for us, not somebody else. Don't think, oh, I'll touch my neighbor and tag, it's your, you're it. It's all your responsibility. Or tag, that's the pastor. He'll do it. No, no. It's everyone together builds the wall. Everyone together, united, sees these great things accomplished. You say, well, how do I change my thinking? Anybody ever heard of Warren Buffett? Anybody in here? A few of you, okay, all right. Most of us have. Warren Buffett, in 1964, he bought a little company that just actually kind of annoyed him. The little company was called Berkshire Hathaway. Anybody ever heard of Berkshire Hathaway? A few people have heard of Berkshire Hathaway. At the time when uh, Warren Buffett bought the company, their shares were worth $12 a share. Not exactly Apple or Google stock, right? Now, if, if, if you were today... Go back, you would, if, if you would love to get some Berkshire Hathaway stock. You, you, would just, you would just love it. Now, let me ask you the next question. How many you would be comfortable with letting uh, Warren Buffett handle your finances? Anybody? A few? Oh, a few of you. Okay, all right. Well, let me finish this illustration. I'm going to ask that question again. So in 1964, if you would have given Warren Buffett $10,000, you say, what would happen to my investment of $10,000? That's $12 a share. What would happen to it? Well, as of Friday... Berkshire Hathaway stock closed at this amount. 54 years, your $12 investment would be worth almost 300000 So let me ask the question again. 
How many of you would trust Warren Buffett with your money? A few more hands go up, right? So if you would have taken that $10,000 and invested it, you know how, how much you would have today? You'd have $202 million in the bank for your $10,000 investment. Only would have taken 54 years. Who gave Warren Buffett his mind for finance and numbers? You can get that. We'll wait for you if you need it. It's probably the Lord saying, invest now in Berkshire Hathaway. Do it. Don't wait. You have an extra 300000 Buy one share. You see, you and I, we understand that it, it was God who gave Warren Buffett his mind. You see, this is my leading question. If you and I, we trust Warren Buffett with our finances, why would we not trust God with our finances? You see, if you look at next week as an offering where you're giving it away, yeah, I could see why you'd be disappointed you wouldn't want to give anything. I could see why you're not going to write a check. I could see why you wouldn't sell anything to give. I could see why you're like, no, no, it's all mine. I'm going to hoard it. I'm keeping it. I'm not giving any, any of it away. Because if you feel like you're just giving it away, you're never going to see it again, yeah, I could see why you wouldn't want to give it away. But you and I both know that when we're in giving money to Warren Buffett, we're investing. And we expect a return. Did you know, when you invest into the work of God, you expect a return. You see, a door is a direction. It's an opportunity. It's something that you get to open, you get to close. You have to step through it. You see, God, he'll go with you, but he won't go for you. God won't step through this door for you, but he'll go with you. You say, I don't know how much finances I have where I can contribute to this heart for the house offering. And so, God, I'm a little bit nervous, but understand that God will go with you. God, I've got some bills. God, I've got some debt. God, I've got some things. And well, God will go with you through that door, but he won't go for you. You see, God wants to use you, wants to increase your capacity. He wants to change your thinking. And if you can trust Warren Buffett, who's just a man with $12 a share that would now be worth almost $300,000, why can't you trust God? When God says, hey, I want you to start giving, I want you to start participating, let me break it down really simple. Let me talk about the five stages of giving. You see, the five stages start with this. First of all, everyone in this room has potential. Everyone has potential. You see, what is potential? Potential means you don't yet give anything to God. You don't. You, you, you never put a dollar, you never put a dime, you, never, you, you enjoy the service, it speaks to your heart, you don't. And, and our church, we don't say, you have to give, otherwise there's the door, Jack. No, we don't do that. But yet understand that our church is supported by our members. It takes resources to reach people. It's going to take resources to get into that building where on each and every Sunday we'll see over 700 people coming to church. We'll see more than that time over and over again. We are a church that, reach, that is going to be used to reach our area. We want to tip the scales so that more people know Jesus in our area than those that don't. So everyone here has potential. Your potential is you don't yet get everything, and that's okay. Maybe you're new. Maybe you, maybe you haven't learned this, and this will be new to you. This will be helpful. So everyone has potential, but then there's the next stage and thinking, and this is where you go to emerging. You say, what do you mean emerging? This is where you say, hey, I'm going to start to give. So I'm going to open up my wallet, and maybe this week I'll put a 20 in. Or you know what? I got a Christmas bonus, and I did really well this year. So you know what? I'm going to give a little bit more. And I'm going to give something to God. You're an emerging giver. You're saying, hey, this is new to me. I just got saved. I just followed the Lord. So this is my next step. I want to give to God. But we don't stop at emerging. We take the next, and that's intentional. Intentional giving is where you pick an amount you're going to give. You see, I've got a lot of to-get lists. You say, what do you mean a to-get list? Oh, you know, there's that car that I want to get. Oh, you know, there's that set of golf clubs I'd love to get. Oh, there's that new laptop I'd love to get. Oh, there's this Nintendo Switch that I'd like to get. And there's this car, there's this house. We all have a to-get list. Every one of us do. And if you don't think you have one, just go to the mall this afternoon. You will find your to-get list. It'll, it'll show up magically. 
But how many of us have a to-give list? That's the question. You see, when my wife and I got married, we made a decision that we are going to designate and we're going to give a portion. And maybe you say, hey, I'm not quite at 9%. Maybe I can, I can say 6% or 3% of my total gross income. I'm going to give it back because I'm going to be intentional about this thing because it matters. You know, my wife and I, we're intentional about a date night because we believe our marriage matters. Or I'm intentional about spending time with my children because I believe my children matters. So you know, to make it intentional, I don't just wish it happens. I put it on my calendar. I set the date and it happens. I'm intentional about it. It's not something I just hope happens. You see, too often we're not intentional about our stewardship. We're not intentional about investing into the kingdom. But there's intentional, and then it goes to the fourth level, and this is where we start to tithe. Now, some people say, Pastor, I tithe, but yet you don't give 10% of your gross income. You say, well, my spouse makes this much, and I make this much, so we just tithe off of my spouses. Wait, no, that's not a tithe. You see, you and your spouse aren't separate. You're one. God sees you as one. Not two incomes, one income. So why would you only tithe off of one? No, no, no. God says you're together on this, so the tithe means a tenth. It's simple. A tithe means a tenth. Just touch your neighbor and say, tithe means tenth. Just means tenth. Just means a tenth. It means whatever God gives me, I give 10% back to him. Now, and if you're looking at it that I'm giving away, I'm never going to see it again, I could see why you would have a hard time. But if you look at it in the mindset that, hey, to change my world, you've got to change my ways. So to change my ways, it's like, man, I'm giving this to Warren Buffett. Man, I'm going to get a return on this. God says that bring the first fruits of all your increase. To bring it to him. And we bring it back to God and we start with the tithe. Around here we teach the tithe. And maybe you say, I don't believe that. You know what? That's between you and the Lord. It's not my job to put pressure on you. It's my job as your spiritual leader to say, hey, this is what the Bible teaches. We bring the tenth. But then there's going to be some people next week that they're going to go to the fifth level. And that's called extravagant. And let me talk about this for a second. Next week we're going to take the largest one-time cash offering. Our goal is 250000 I believe God's going to give us more than that. You say, Why? Because I've been praying, I believe, and I've been seeing touches of what God's going to do. But can I say this? If you are a regular tender or you're a member of our church, but you are not currently giving 10% of your gross income back to God in the tithe, do not give in this offering. I don't want you to. I am misleading you as your spiritual leader and having you give one time to God and kind of pay God off to appease your conscience if you're not learning to tithe. It would be far better for you to learn to give God 10% of your income than one time a year or two times a year. You say, all right, God, I'm paying you off. No, this is not a payoff. This is not to ease our conscience. This is where we say, God, I'm excited about this. Christmas is coming up. You know what I'm excited about? You see, this is, I didn't realize this until I had kids. Christmas is way more fun when you have kids. Because all year, they've been begging for something. They've been wanting something. And my daughter, she's been wanting this American Girl doll. And those American Girl dolls, I wish there was a knockoff, something cheaper. They're expensive doll. My goodness. So she's been wanting this American doll. And she wants this American doll. And I can't wait to, she's not in here, I don't think. So I can't wait to get her an American doll where on, on Christmas morning, she wraps and unwraps it. And there's going to be that American doll. And I'm going to see the tears of joy in her face. She's going to be so happy and she'll be so excited. And that's what I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, next week, my wife and I, we've already talked about what we're doing. And we're, we're excited like that. What we're going to bring. What we're going to do. Because we talked about it. We were like, man, all, all we've been gearing up for this. And God, we're going to have a part in this. We're so excited to bring it to God. Because this is our door. And we as a family, we've talked about it. We've prayed about it. And we said, how much can we do? What can we sell? What can we do to make sure that we give a large offering? Last year, I had a number on my heart. And man, the week before we gave our offering, I had a little card. And inside your worship guide, there's a little card. And you can write a number there. And I had written a number. And all week, I was praying over my number. And I was going around. And I was saying, God, oh, 
I need to give the, I can't wait to give this amount. And then you know what? Just before that weekend, that Sunday offering came, God said, add a zero to it. I was like, wait, whoa, hold on. We were good, God, until we had my original number. I mean, you know, I thought a hundred bucks was good. Thought we were good there. Thought a thousand was good. And God said, add a zero. It was the greatest joy to be able to add that. It was the greatest joy to be able to give the largest offering I've ever been able to give. No part of me was like, oh, here you go, God. No. It was exciting because you know what? Last week we saw families and life change. Why? Because some people said, we're going to bring our resources to God and we're going to give it. So this week you're going to take this little card that's your worship guide. You're going to write a number. And I'm praying that God will speak to you over that number. Because why? There are doors. But then you see all the names we went through? Then there's doers. Write that down. There's doors, and then there's doers. Church, this past week, I received the most generous offering I've ever received. Way ahead of our offering. Somebody gave me the largest, most generous offering I've ever seen. And I brought it today. Because some of you don't realize just how much God is working behind the scenes. You don't know how good our God is. And how much our God is providing. I received this offering from those unlikely people. Have you ever found that? That God just kind of uses the most unlikely of people and places to kind of bless you in the biggest ways? This offering was the most generous. I mean, when I say they gave everything, they literally gave everything. Everything. I've never had somebody say this is literally all of it. But that's what they did because they believe in our church. They believe in what we're going to do. So I want to show you what I received. You say, why is this so special to you? You can't see it, but it says vacation fund. It's from three little boys in our church. They brought everything. They said, this offering means so much to us. That we opened wide our window. We saw the door and we stepped through this door. And Pastor, we brought everything we could. And man, we're so excited. And this is probably about $25, maybe $30. But can I tell you why this is the most generous offering I've ever received? Because it was everything they had. And they were so excited to give it. Their parents are in our church and I'm so proud of their parents. They have wonderful parents. But here's something really cool about this. And this is a lesson for us. There's a lid on this old pickle jar, and then they glued the lid shut. You say, why? So they wouldn't get to it. Because how many know when a little boy hears that ice cream truck coming? (laughs) There goes that fund. How many know when a little boy goes to Toys R Us or goes to GameStop? It'd be really, really fun to take that lid off and go buy that game. But there were some kids... They said, our church changes lives. I'm just a little kid. Pastor, here's everything I got. You and I, we sit on hundreds of thousands of dollars. I renewed my life insurance this past week, and we went through and reviewed everything. Sometimes you just don't feel that rich, and then all of a sudden you start looking, and you're like, whoa, I have good health. I have three beautiful kids. I have two cars. Not one. I have two. 
and they're paid off. I own a home in the Bay Area. God has been good. But it took some doers. That's some doers. Those three little boys, if you ever met those three little boys, they're special boys. Energetic, good boys. And they said, Pastor, here's everything. And not one of those three boys, as they handed it, kind of held on to it. They didn't do one of those. They didn't, nobody had to pry one of their cold fingers off of it. They were so excited. Your kids right now are in Bridge Kids, and they're so excited to give in that offering. They've been talking about it. They've been working. You see, this church was built because some people said, we're going to give. In verse number 20, there was a man. His name is Baruch. The Bible says he zealously repaired another section of the wall. There was another man. His name was Mermoth. Mermoth, he repaired one section, then went to another section, then went to another section. Some of you, you're going to give one time, then you're going to come back and say, that was so fun, I want to do that again. And you're going to say, that was so much fun, I want to do that for a third time. I love giving to God. I love giving to the work. Because you understand that there is a church that we say there's a window that we're going to work. There's a door that we're going to step through because there is a life that needs to be reached because our church exist to reach the lost the least we exist to change lives we exist to make people better we exist to tell people about a savior who died for them we exist because we are the church that says hey we are doers we don't just hear the word we do the word we are doers touch your neighbor and say we are doers we are doers we don't just sit back and say that's the pastor's job that's the staff's job we say it's our church it's our people our church is being written about in the paper. And I sat down with a man who had written some things in the paper and said some things. And he's not a mean man, but he said some things that weren't exactly too, too kind. And it turns out he's a church member of a pastor friend of mine. And his pastor met with him. And this is while he was talking to me over coffee. He said, you know, my pastor kind of met with me and uh, uh, he saw what I had said and he saw what was in the paper. And uh, my pastor told me that, um, hey, I'm just letting you know. Don't mess with that church. And he was like, why? I don't know what it is about them. They're little, but they're scrappy. <laughs> they're a little bit crazy. You just don't mess with crazy. Crazy will do crazy things. He said, I'm telling you right now, if they want that building, they're going to get that building. If they want to build a church, they're going to build a church. Because that church is a church of doers. That church is a church that isn't sitting back waiting on a move of God. That church is a movement of God. They are seeing God save people. They are seeing God by, the, by, the, by, the, by just the, the hundreds come to Jesus. Last week, did anybody ever see an invitation like that? Did you see how many hands? No, you didn't see it. You were out serving. What am I talking about? There were hands after hand after hand. We saw 50 people, but I'm short and everybody else is taller than me. And I couldn't count all the hands. There were so many hands that went up of people who were giving their life to Christ. And some of you, you're back today. You're back in the early service. And people are hearing about our church. The media is coming and they're talking about our church. We're in the newspaper and their reporters want to meet with me on Wednesday because they're hearing about a church who says, we live by faith. We're going to be known by love and we are a voice of hope. Do you believe it, church? Are we that church? So we're going to take the hill. We are doers. You see, it's doers who step through the door that make a difference. Everybody today is talking about making a difference. But the way to make a difference is to step through the door. 
I don't know about you. Anybody ever gone to a live sporting event, football game, baseball game, basketball game? It's fun, right? It's fun, right? I love it. It's great. It's great. But I grew up in a broke family, so we were always in the nosebleed seats, the cheap seats. And it was still fun. You know, we'd have our popcorn, we'd have our hot dog, or we'd share a hot dog or share a popcorn, or, you know, or something like that, you know. And uh, we were up there in the cheap seats, and, you know, you got the binoculars and everything. I remember my little brother Daniel, we were at the Oakland A's Coliseum, and he's like, I want a ball, I want a ball. And we're way up. I mean, nobody can hear him. And one poor little fan underneath got so sick and tired of my brother saying, give me a ball, give me a ball. He came up and was like, can you? please be quiet. I bought you a ball, you know, just like, please shut up, you know, and uh, we still had a good time, and, uh, uh, but then every once in a while, man, we'd buy the good seats. We'd go sit behind home plate, or we'd sit at the 50-yard line. Can I tell you, it's true. Money does bring happiness. It is happier there. I was way more happy at the 50-yard line not having to ask for a ball way up in the nosebleed seats. It was way better. But can I tell you this? Guess what? My experience was enhanced by my investment. Some of you are like, well, I just don't know about church. I just don't know about the Bible. I don't know. Your experience is enhanced by your investment. You have not invested anything. And so because you have not invested anything, your experience is subpar. You want to experience God? Invest. You want to experience God? Invest. You want to get a work of God? Invest. You want to be a part of something great? Invest. Be a part of this. You get involved. You go serve. You go help somebody. You load a Christmas tree. You greet somebody. You change a diaper. You sing in the worship ministry. You help out with the audiovisual. You usher. You greet. You get in the parking lot. You give in the offering. You say, you know what? My experience is enhanced by my investment. So I'm not going to let another offering go by when I don't get to participate in something. I'm not going to let another Sunday go by where I don't get to put on a greeter tag and smile and tell somebody good morning to you. God bless you. I love you. I'm so glad you're a part of my church. I can't wait for the day when we march into that new building and we're able to reach hundreds and yes, even thousands of people that need to know the name of Jesus Christ because we are a church that says, guess what? Our experience is enhanced by our investment. The happiest people last week, you want to know the happiest people last week was not the ones that received a tree. The happiest people were not the one that watched Pastor West in his Elvis impersonation sing the Christmas song. That was not the happiest people. The happiest people were not the ones that got to meet Santa and get to ask him for their wish list. The happiest people were the people that they got here at 6 in the morning. They set up and they grabbed a Christmas tree. They carried it over to a single mom and put it in her car, prayed with her, and said, have a Merry Christmas. Those were the happiest people. It was not the people who received. It was the people who gave that were the happiest. It's more blessed to give, finish it, than to receive. We are a church that says we're going to give. We have a giving goal so that we can make a difference. I shared a story in the first hour. I'm going to share it again, but I think this story is enhanced because the story I'm going to share is about a woman who just recently passed away, and we're blessed by her family being here. We're honored by their presence. One of our sweet members was a woman by the name of Bobby Reyes. Never was a smile like Bobby Reyes. Bobby Reyes was a huge help to our church, She led women's Bible studies, women's events. She was wonderful. She was an usher. One of my favorite memories about Bobby Reyes, we had a guest speaker come in. And he held up a phone, and he said, if you have a flip phone, you can just leave right now. 
And Bobby stood up. She started to walk out. He thought he offended her. She was like, I just have to go to the bathroom. Our bookkeeper came up to me, and we were settling up some things as we prepare for the offering. And the bookkeeper knew about Bobby Ray's passing. And the bookkeeper said, you know, I know you're trying to raise money for this building. And I know you just started talking about it, and you just got the building literally three weeks ago. We didn't know about this building back in January. I said, I just want to let you know that ever since January of 2017, Bobby Reyes has been giving money in your offering specifically for a building when we weren't even talking about a building. There was no knowledge of a building. But every week, she would indicate on her ties and then the bottom where it said building fund. She would put a little amount. I believe next year we're going to be in that new building. It was a year ago, if you were here, we were all crammed in the side classrooms because somebody was running this. And I said, hey, a year from now, we're not going to be in here. We're going to be looking at our own building. And now we are. You know, we're going to build a beautiful lobby. Bobby Reyes would have loved our lobby. She won't get to be there. But you will. She built it for you. We're going to build some beautiful classrooms. We're going to have ladies' Bible studies. And there's going to be women that are going to have a ladies' Bible study. Bobby Reyes won't get to lead it. She built it for you. There's going to be kids' classrooms where kids are going to be taught the word of God. They're going to be loved and they're going to be helped. Where they're not going to be abused, talked down to, or yelled at. Bobby Reyes built that for your kids. She invested in what she would never get to be a part of. In chapter 3, it wasn't just the people from Jerusalem that built the wall. The Bible says that there were people from other provinces that came to build the wall. They didn't need the wall. They weren't living in the city. But they said, I'm not here to buy a blessing. I'm here to be a blessing. You say, I don't even know if I'm a part of that. I'm just visiting this church. It's okay. You can still be a blessing. You can still say, you know what? If three boys can give everything, and if a dear saint believed enough in our church to do something every week, I could do something. I'm not going to let this door close without me getting to participate. I'm going to have a part. Every head bowed and every eye closed.